0: Amen. If you have a Bible, open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. As you're opening up there, let me remind you that we have a uh, business meeting happening right at the end of church. We'll be voting, uh, Lord willing, to approve our 2021 budget. Uh, just as a reminder, we don't, we don't do discussion on the day we vote. We do that ahead of time, so that was available Uh, Last Sunday for you, but I'll I'll give just the most basic and rudimentary details of exactly what we're voting for And we'll vote here at the end of church and uh, We'll also be granting and receiving letters We accepting new members here into the church and granting a letter uh, to another church But then next Sunday, we'll have another uh, Special called business meeting at the end of church and next Sunday you'll be voting uh, Lord willing we hope as a search committee hopes uh, that We'll be voting to call Cole Jordan as our new minister to students. He is coming in a part-time capacity, just so you know, but he and his wife, Alicia, are planning to relocate to Gadsden from New Orleans, Louisiana, where they're both students at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. You'll learn more about him next week. There's a little bit there in the chimes, uh, but we hope and pray that you'll plan to be here and say hello to them, and Lord willing, we the search committee feels really strongly that Cole and Alicia are going to be a great fit for us and our church, and we look forward to seeing uh, how they lead our student ministry in the years to come. So it's an exciting season here at First Baptist Church. We're excited uh, to have Cole and Alicia coming on board. And uh, they have not graduated from seminary yet. Cole, They'll both graduate, Lord willing, this spring in May. Uh, but but Alicia's also a full-time nurse, so she she works full-time doing that. And then Cole will, will uh, work here and then find part-time work here. In Gazette as well, so we look forward to greeting them and bringing them. Lord willing, if you vote affirmatively to call them here, he is already ordained, so we will be voting to call him as our minister to students. If if you do vote on that, they'll be coming here and moving to Gazden in January. We look forward to them starting their ministry with us here. First Peter chapter one verses eight and nine. If you have your Bibles open there, why don't you go and stand with me out of reverence for the reading, of the words of our God. Peter writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 8, though you have not seen Him, you love Him, and though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, would you open our hearts and minds today, Lord, to receive your word? And God, it's our prayer that we would be changed by your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Recently, on a show, Whitney and I like to watch sometime called Somebody Feed Phil. A, uh, a scene really got under my skin. I mean, it just bothered the stew out of me. And I, it might have been a year or two ago when we saw it, and I re-watched it this week um, just to make sure I remembered it correctly because it bothered me so much. There was a scene where he's in Copenhagen, Denmark, and he's on a boat with a chef there, and they're talking about all the different ways that people like to enjoy seafood in Copenhagen. And Phil Rosenthal, the kind of main guy in this food and travel show, says to the chef, he says, so this seems like a really happy place to live. The guy immediately says, 15 years ago, it wasn't. 15 years ago, Copenhagen was gray and boring. When Phil kind of inquires as to why, he says, that's when the Protestants were in control. And he says, the Protestant way is to not enjoy anything. And the church dictated, he said, that anything that was joyful was sinful. Now, you may think, well, that's not how we are at First Baptist Gadsden. But we've all known Christians who seem to think like that, haven't we? That anything joyful is sinful. And we are Protestants, but we're a special breed of Protestant that really seems to really have fun by not enjoying anything. (laughs) Sinclair Ferguson is a Presbyterian pastor. I guess maybe Baptists aren't the worst. He he once said that golf is a game invented by a bunch of Scottish Presbyterians so they could enjoy themselves without having any fun. And I understand that completely. It's so sad to me that so often Christians are known for less than their joy. I don't know about the good Christian people of Denmark, and I don't know whether that chef was right or not. And perhaps they are getting a bad rap now all over the world. But when I heard that, when I heard that sentence, I thought, I can relate to that. Isn't there a sense in which so often we think that holiness has to mean sourness? That, that we think that in order to take the things that are most important in the world seriously, that we have to take ourselves seriously all the time? It's so sad to me that so often, so often, we're more known for being sour and dour and over serious and joyless then we are known for contagious, overwhelming joy. And there's more to, joy, more to the Christian life than joy, but there's certainly not less. Now listen, I, I'm not preaching here this morning to try to guilt you all into feeling happy all the time, right? In fact, I talk a lot about, and, and I really go to great pains at times to try to make sure that what we're not talking about is a sort of saccharine sweet, Superficial happiness, because that is not always easy to find in the Christian life. I tell you all the time that Christianity is not REM theology, just shiny, happy people holding hands. It's not always exactly how things are. In fact, some of you right now might be struggling to find joy. Some of you right now might say, Pastor, with the circumstances I'm in and the life that I'm living, I have no clue what joy would even look like without some radical change in my circumstances. What is joyfulness, you might wonder? In a season of grief or a season of doubt, a season of worry or a time of struggle, what does joy look like? How do we define joy? One of my favorite definitions of joy that I found, uh, theological definitions of joy that I found, is from an author named John Piper. He says this, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Christian joy, John Piper says, is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. And Maybe this Christmas you're having a hard time feeling joyful. And, and I'll admit, I've heard from a lot of people, and even from me at different times, I thought, it just doesn't quite feel the same this year. Th- things just don't quite feel the same. And Christmas is such a time for joy. But I hope and pray that this morning, as we look at this text, that we will begin to develop this emotion in our souls, this good feeling in our souls as the Holy Spirit works in our heart and as we see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in His world, I hope and pray that God will give us not a superficial happiness necessarily. I'll take it. If the Lord wants to give me that, I'll take it. It's not only what I mean. What I mean is a deep and abiding joy in knowing who God is and what He means for His people. I think if you listen to these three truths in a apply these three truths from this text today that the Lord will use it to help you cultivate a heart of joy. I want to show you three things today. Here's the first. Love leads to joy. Love leads to joy. Let me me put it like this. Authentic joy in the Christian life is born out of our love for God. Genuine joy in the Christian life is born out of a love for God. Do you see the sort of progression that Peter has here? Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And then he connects these two thoughts together by repeating himself. He says, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And then you do not now see Him. You believe in Him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Though you have not seen Him... You love Him. Now, how is it that we could say that we love God? It's something to say that, isn't it? I have children. They were down here earlier. And sometimes my children don't see my love the way I see it. Now, let me tell you, when they do see my love, when it's Christmas morning and they're opening presents, They're so excited to open presents. When it's their birthday and they open presents, or when it's a special day and and they get to pick out where we eat or what we have for dinner. When they say, yeah, Dad, I think I want McDonald's tonight. And we say, okay, fine, that sounds great. We'll do that for you. That's when they see my love. But obviously there are aspects of a parent's love that a child doesn't appreciate until much later when we discipline them, when we restrict things, when we make them be careful around certain situations. They don't always appreciate that. But I think we can all say and recognize that the reality is if, a, if as a parent I was all discipline, or as a parent I was all sweetness and never any discipline or vice versa, we'd have a problem. And yet for us to say that we love God means that there must be some sort of evidence that we love Him. I don't just say I love my wife, right? I think you all know how how far along I'd get if all I did was say I love my wife. Whitney's not afraid to call me out on things I say (laughs) all the time, you know, because I'm always saying something goofy. No, we, we all recognize this. We see this. You can't just say it. It's one thing to say you love God. It's another thing altogether to actually love God. How is it that as a Christian, as a human being, as a fallen sinner, how is it that we can claim to love God? I think the Bible makes it so plain to us that the way we know we love God is by first experiencing His love. Nobody's born a lover of God. Nobody loves Jesus naturally. Only those who've experienced the love of God. That is, joy in the Christian life and joy, authentic joy in this world is predicated on genuine conversion. That is, a genuine experience of the love of God, authentically being saved and meeting the Lord in His grace through His Son for the first time. And I want you to know that there are all sorts of false teachings in the world that will steal your joy. There are joy thieves out there. One one joy thief that's out there is the false teaching of legalism. You know what legalism is? It's the idea that we need to earn God's favor through how we behave. I think we've all met people and you think, man, I'm afraid that person had to earn their parents' love because they're so often trying to earn love from people. When when you buy into the false teaching of legalism, it robs your joy from you because you don't love God. You're not a son of God. You work for God. You're you're constantly trying to make sure God approves you of you law keeping as love earning is the quickest route to a cold and bitter heart Uh, a heart that sees everything that it receives as something owed it because of the work it's done for god but there's also the false teaching of of theological revisionism some people see God as a good example of love. They've abandoned the core tenets and the core truths of the faith. So they see God as an example of love, but the love of God is actually displayed in the gospel. So they've missed some of the truths that are there. There's no sin. There's no judgment. There's only a moral example or a defeat of temporary worldly concerns. It robs your joy. It robs your joy because there's no real hope beyond this world. And maybe the most devilish of all is the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. God becomes a cosmic vending machine, a great big rabbit foot in the sky. And it's hard to love somebody that you're just using to get stuff. And and, and so your joy is robbed when you've not actually experienced the love of God and the gospel because the gospel leads us to experience God's love personally and objectively. And once we have received and experienced the actual, authentic love of God through the gospel, we love God in return. God shows His love for us, Romans chapter 5 tells us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First John chapter 4 verse 19, we love God. Because He first loved us. If you just do a spiritual temperature check today, perhaps one of the reasons why you're struggling to find joy, perhaps it's because you've lost the love that you had at first. That fresh experience of the love of God. When you first realize, me, me, of all people, a sinner can be loved by God and saved by Him. He sent His Son into the world so that we might know and see His love and experience His love when we're delivered from our own sins. And you've begun to perhaps slip off into some of these other teachings that start to make you think, well, right, but I'm really earning God's love or... Or, right, I mean, I know I'm saved and and, and everything, but maybe sin's not as big a deal as it seems like it is. No, my friends. You need to know that God's love is so overwhelming that you, a desperate sinner, were loved anyway, and that you received God's love by His grace through His Son. Love leads to joy. And when we have genuinely experienced God's love, it transforms how we view God. Some of you in this room have a hard time viewing God as anything but a harsh, cold minister in the sky. And I'm not saying that there are never times for ministers to stand on the truth. I think we always ought to. We ought to have steel spine. And yet I also want you to know that the heart of God is warm toward His people. And I hope and pray that you will learn not just to fear God, even though you should. not, Not just to do what God asks you to do, even though obedience is essential to the Christian life. But my hope and my prayer is that the primary thing you think about when you think about God is His love for you, and because of that, your love for Him. I think it leads to an abiding joy in our lives. But not only that, faith leads to joy. Love leads to joy. And second of all, faith leads to joy. That is, trusting God, believing God leads to joy. Look at the second half of chapter 1, verse 8. Though you do not now see him, You believe in Him. That is, you have faith in Him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Trusting God leads to joy. You can't see Him. You've never seen Him and you don't see Him now. And yet you still trust Him. What does that mean then? What are you doing? No, nobody in this room doesn't want joy, right? I think everybody wants joy. And I think here's part of the question. Who will you trust for your joy? If I were to say, when the, when the Scripture says that everything that's not from faith is sin, I think this is part of what Paul is driving at in Romans chapter 15 when he, when he says that. Because at every moment when you encounter some sin, real sin, not made up sins, like some like today, but real real sins, temptation to sin. Every time you encounter those things, you've come to a crossroads where you have to decide who's right, me or God. Who's right, you or God? And when was the last time you were tempted to sin when you didn't think, this is going to make me happy? When was the last time? Almost always, almost always, Brother, I've been praying for years that someone would say amen in this church, so don't you feel bad one bit. That's an answer to prayer right there. By God's grace, we look and we see the way that faith leads to joy. Because when you are tempted to sin, what you're saying is, am I tempted to trust my plan for joy over God's plan for joy? The Bible says that sin will never lead to true joy in your life. And yet when we trust God, what we're saying is, I trust God to make me happy. I trust that God's plan is better than my plan. You're trusting that God knows better than you do. And I want you to think about this morning how that transforms your life. There's a simple joy and a basic fundamental joy that comes from walking in simple trust with the Lord. Walking hand in hand, walking arm in arm with the Lord every day and trusting Him with everything that comes your way. You trust the Lord. You you, you trust the Lord that He knows better than you do. There's a transformation that happens when every moment of every day is dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you walk with trust in Him. You see, sometimes I'm, I'm afraid we've bought into the lies. I, I, I think we've sometimes bought into the lies. I, I really do. I, I think that we think that God doesn't take joy seriously. You know what the Bible says? Just, just go read someday. Just go search for joy in the Bible. Go search for pleasure in the Bible. The scripture says so plainly, at the Lord's right hand are pleasures forevermore. God takes joy seriously. The problem with us is that we don't take it seriously enough. We go about looking for things that will satisfy us when they can only be found in the Lord. I'm sure you've heard that great C.S. Lewis quote where he speaks about this very thing. I want you to consider this that maybe God knows joy better than you do. Maybe God understands joy more than the devil does. Maybe you should put your trust in the Lord. But I want you to know something else. This works backwards as well. Not only does your faith lead to your joy, but your joy demonstrates your faith. And I want you to know this right now. There is nothing in this world that will make people long for heaven and, long to know the Lord like the contagious joy of a Christian, like the contagious joy of a Christian. I I have made a commitment, and this may come as a surprise to you all, but I have made a commitment that I want to dedicate my life to proving that you can take God and joy seriously at the same time. I I want people to see when they hear about First Baptist Church of Gadsden, when they hear about the people that go to church here, when they think about our lives, I want them to know that we take the Lord seriously. I want them to know we take the Bible seriously. I want them to know we take holiness seriously. But if they see nothing else in our lives and nothing else in our hearts, and if they know nothing else about us, us, I want them to think those people are joyful. And they've got a chubby, jolly guy leading them the whole way through. Your joy demonstrates your faith. So often, what we call seriousness is taking ourselves serious. Not taking the Lord serious. What does joy do? We see the beauty of Christ and I just want you to think about what you're trusting God for. All of your righteousness, all of your hope, everything you have in this life and the next is all wrapped up in God. And the Bible says that you have treasures and riches in Christ that have been given you. Why wouldn't we be joyful? How could we not be joyful? Finally, future grace leads to joy. Future grace leads leads to joy. You see, I think we do pretty good with past grace. Right? I mean, we do pretty good with grace we've already received. We understand it, it makes sense to us. But why? Well, you've already experienced it, right? Makes sense. I I know how bad I am and I know how bad I was, and I know that the Lord's loved me this far anyway, right? And that's great. I love love past grace. And thinking about the grace that God's already shown to us is a wonderful thing. But I want you to maybe pause this morning and think a little bit about the grace that you haven't even seen yet. I think that's the grace we struggle with. Some of you this morning may be crippled by worry. You're fretting. You're anxious? Uh, so, some of you this morning may be so paralyzed with guilt that you're watching from home instead of being here, and it's nothing to do with COVID, but because you're afraid just to be out in the open. And some of you may be here right now with everything smoothed over and everything seemingly perfect, but on the inside, you're so racked with guilt. You're worried, you're anxious. Surely, you think, for me, maybe for some others, maybe for that guy or or this this good godly woman, maybe grace will continue for them, but never for me. Look at verse 9. Look what the Bible says. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And what's going to happen, the Bible says in verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This faith is leading you somewhere this, this 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 hope is taking you somewhere. This joy is pointed in a kingdom-oriented direction because we believe and we trust that the day is coming when we will be finally and fully and completely saved. That's not to say that you're not converted and in Christ right now. That you're not authentically saved in this moment. There's no question in my mind, if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus and Receive the Holy Spirit, that you are authentically in Jesus, that you have been saved by His grace, that you are promised an eternal home. And yet this morning, as you got out of bed and it was cold outside, you felt the ache in your joints as a reminder that things are not quite as they should be. All week you struggled so hard to keep it between the lines, to continue to serve God faithfully, to run from sin and to run toward the Lord in faith, then it was a reminder each time that things aren't quite what they should be. And we look out in the world and we see the way that people are dying and struggling with a disease that's ransacking the world, and we are reminded that things are not as they should be. And even though you know you've got Jesus in your heart, you long for the day when you look and you see that the Lord has returned and He's made everything right in His own time. And so while you are saved, don't you think we could all still stand to be saved from ourselves, from this world, from sin? And though your life may seem to be tossed about by the wind and the waves, this hopefulness This belief that God will continue to be gracious, that this firm set hope. That God was faithful yesterday and God was faithful today and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So tomorrow, I believe, no matter what sins may beset me today, I can trust and believe that God will be gracious to me tomorrow. The outcome of my faith is ultimately, in the big picture, the salvation of my soul. My soul? You say, my soul, me, a sinner, a wicked person with the things I did before I was saved, with the things I thought yesterday, with all the things I've said when I was angry, what about the stuff I've done after I was saved? Those sins that I committed. My soul? Me? A sinner? You're you're saying that the Bible says, I I believe in this past grace, but the Bible says that the Lord Jesus is going to keep me. He's going to keep me as His child. He's going to keep me saved. He's going to come for me. He's going to rescue me from this world, from this sin. Me? A sinner? A wicked sinner? Oh, my friends. Oh, you haven't seen him. You love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And it's precisely this thought that erupts in our hearts, that leads us to exult in God, that gives us rapturous joy. It's the knowledge that no matter how dark and how bad and how desperate and how wicked we are, there is a place in heaven precisely because my name is graven on the very heart of the Lord Jesus Christ who came into the world and who shed His blood to die for my, my, my sin. The outcome of your faith is the salvation of your soul. How could this not lead us to be joyful? How can this guarantee of future grace not lead us to explosive joy? Fear to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth behold her King. Horror to the world. A holy and righteous God has come. Let sinners behold their King. It's not right, is it? It's not what we think, is it? It's not what we sing, is it? Joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive. Our King. That's precisely my hope and my prayer today is that as you behold the King in his beauty, as you behold the Lord in his majesty and splendor, as you hear the news that God, holy and righteous, has come into the world, that you will look and you will receive your King with joy inexpressible, filled with glory. Love leads to joy. Faith leads to joy. And this beautiful and glorious grace that we can expect on into millennia from this day forward leads us to joy. I want to offer you an opportunity today to put your trust and your faith in Jesus. We're going to have a few moments of reflection here this morning. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, I pray that you would do just that today. You may say, Preacher, I don't have any joy in my life and my heart. And it could be because you're chasing after all these different ways to approach God when there's only one way, by grace, through faith. Put your trust in Him today. After the service is over, I'd love to talk to you this morning. You may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I need to fight for joy. I hope and pray that you'll take this time to reflect on what it would mean for you to fight for joy in your life as a Christian. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you this morning about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to do business with the Lord right where you are. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather with your people today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.